want to invite you guys uh, into kind of my world today. And I think that what, what God is doing for us in the time that we live in is we live in a culture that's filled with chatter. It's filled with noise. And I believe that if we, if we can hear the sound of heaven, we'll not only change the way our lives are, but we'll change the way the culture is. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 55. We're going to start there. I'm going to share with you for a couple minutes on the topic, Think Like Heaven. And um, a couple of years ago, I was writing a series of blogs. I have an online school where um, I train people how to hear God's voice. We've had thousands of students from about 15 different countries that have gone through. And it's set up in four different modules. You get to each, for a, a, over a six-week period, you get 12 videos, you get 12 audios, you get 12 uh, written lessons and 12 study guides and exercises that go with that in order to hear God's voice. When I got to the end of writing about um, how God speaks, how he spoke from the beginning in creation, how he spoke through Old Testament personalities, and then how he spoke when Jesus came and the kingdom came. I thought, what can I write about next? And then I thought, I need to write about how God thinks because the Bible says, or Jesus says, out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So that means if you, if you say something, you've actually thought it first. If you think something long enough, eventually you'll speak it. If you say it long enough, you'll actually start to act it out. And if you act it out long enough, then it'll become a habit. It'll become, it'll, you'll become it. That's the way a habit is formed. That's the way behavior is formed is you think something, you say it, you act on it, and then you become it. It's also the way the word is formed inside of you. So if you think the word of God, if you meditate on the word of God, James says, if you receive the implanted word, What's the implanted word? The implanted word isn't just something that comes to you and bounces off. It's something that you consume. It's something that you digest. It's something that you meditate on. And you receive the implanted word, it says, and your soul will be healed or sozoed, saved, for the saving of your soul. And I believe that Jesus, when he died, he didn't just die for the healing of our body, which is true. In Isaiah 50, 53, it says that he's, by his stripes we're healed. But it also, he died for the saving of our spirits so that all of our iniquities could be put on him. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, which is the healing of our soul. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That means Jesus took a lack of peace so that you can live in peace. And the Bible says that the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace. Peace is not just the absence of anxiety and fear. Peace is the presence of the atmosphere of God. Of, the, of his kingdom and his government and his peace, there will be no end, Isaiah 9 says. That means whenever the kingdom of God comes into an environment, peace comes, and when that happens, you're not just dealing with a negative. You're not just dealing with get rid of anxiety. And a lot of times in Christian life, what we're doing is we're dealing with a negative. We're trying to control the negative. Control your negative thoughts, control your negative behavior, control the negative. Jesus never came to control the negative. He came to kill the negative. He said, behold, all things have been made new. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. He didn't come to control the negative. He came to bring the positive. He came to bring his thoughts. And so I was asking this question as I was writing about how God thinks is, is what was God thinking what, or how can we know God's thoughts? And the thought came to me where Jesus said, out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So I asked the question, what was God thinking about when he spoke? And we know that everything God created, he created with his words. It says in Genesis that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he create them? He said, let there be light. 
So the form that God chose to create was through his words, but what was he thinking? If I could know what, was, what God was thinking when he created the world, I could know the reason he created it. If you know the thinking behind a person's actions or their words, you'll know how, they, how they're wired, how they tick. You say, well, I, how can we know what God's thinking? Well, it's, it's spelled out clear for us actually in Ephesians chapter 1. It says that, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1, 3 who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That means before God said, let there be light, he said, let there be you. He chose you. Everything he created, he created with you in mind. If we understand how much God's thoughts are for us, it'd be hard for us to have a bad day. It'd be hard for us because God's not, he, God's not looking, waiting for us to get up so he can show us what we're doing wrong. He's actually looking for us to realize who we are as he's created us. And, and in Isaiah 55, we see an incredible passage that's under the Old, old Covenant um, perspective. It looks actually like a condemnation or a, an indictment against us. But actually what it is, it, it turns out to be an invitation. So if you go with me to Isaiah chapter 55... And verse number, let's start at verse number six, because I think if we look at this, we can look at it a little bit from an old covenant perspective. And then I want to take us on the other side of the cross and look at it from a new covenant perspective, because you can actually see Jesus through the old covenant if you look at it with the right perspective. But if you look at the old covenant with old covenant eyes, you'll see things as a condemnation because the old covenant was a ministry of condemnation. But Paul said, this not, not any longer. Now it's the ministry of glorification. We go from glory to glory. So Isaiah 55, verse 6. Check it out. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, when you first look at this, you say, man, this is, this is a tough uh, condemnation here. This is a tough indictment here, because God's saying, you got to turn from your ways. You're unrighteous. You got to turn from your ways. You're wicked. You got to turn from your thoughts. But if we look at this from a new covenant perspective, we don't read it the same way. When I look at this from a new covenant perspective, here's how I read it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Guess what? He's found. Because when he came, he found you and you found him. And when you found him, you can't lose him again. He, he's, not, he's not hiding from you. He's not far away. He's actually near. Call on him while he is near. That's an old covenant perspective that somehow I got to chase after God to find him. No, no longer am I hiding behind fig leaves behind a tree. He's actually called me out. Now he is near. So seek the Lord while he is near. He is near. So we're now what we're doing is we're learning how to call on the Lord while he's with us. We're learning how to seek him while he's already present. It's a new perspective. But when we do that, we're not just trying to control the negative anymore. We're actually stepping into the positive. We're stepping into a new atmosphere of his thoughts. And here's what he says. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Well, you're not wicked. You're righteous. Jesus became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of God. Which means now God wants to show you the way that righteous people think. God wants to teach you how to think like a righteous person. God wants to teach you how to be righteousness conscious. What does that mean? And it means that I don't, any, I don't live any longer trying to control the negative in my life, but I actually try to I live toward who God says that I am. 
You say, well, I don't always act righteous. No, you don't. But that doesn't make you an unrighteous person. Your ability to commit an unrighteous act doesn't make you unrighteous. It makes you a son in need of a father. Your ability to sin doesn't make you a sinner in your nature. What it makes you is a son in need of a father. And so what we're learning is we're learning how to think from God's perspective about ourselves. And when we do, guess what happens? Our ways follow our thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. What does that tell us? Thoughts follow, thoughts precede ways. Ways follow thoughts. So if you change your thinking, you can change the way you act. Then he describes these thoughts. He says, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your ways. That means that we have an earthly way of thinking, but God has a heavenly way of thinking. And he says, you can change your way of thinking and you can think like me. There's actually a parallel passage to this in Matthew 16. I don't want you to turn there, but I really encourage you to read this later. And this teaching isn't something that you can just take notes on and say, hey, that was a good teaching. If you really want to unpack it, you should probably listen to the teaching over and over again because there's things that you, you need to put into practice. But in Matthew 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples a lesson. It's one of my favorite stories about the way Jesus teaches because Jesus never teaches by just telling his disciples stuff. He actually teaches by asking them questions. And the reason he's asking them isn't always apparent, like this. Matthew 16, he goes, so who do people say that I am? Think about it. He's saying, who do other people say that I am? And they, they say what other people are saying. L listen to what they say. Well, some people say you're John the Baptist, come back in the flesh. Now, you can read that and you can say, well, that's just a silly answer. Or why would they say that? But this isn't just a silly answer. This is actually crazy. This is actually, if you're Jesus, you're thinking, so people are saying I'm actually my cousin who was actually conceived near the same time as me, was in the womb at the same time as me, who actually baptized me, who actually was on the earth and walked with me, who not long ago was beheaded in prison, and now I'm him come in the flesh? That's not just a bad answer. That's, that's a crazy answer. That's like, Man, I could have come up with a better, my six-month-old could have come up with a better answer. My 12-year-old who, you know, didn't even go through all of Sunday school class yet can come up with a better answer than that. And what's Jesus' response to this, to this answer? Nothing. You know why? Because it's an absolutely crazy answer. He doesn't try to prove who he is to people who don't get it. This is really a, 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 an example of how we should respond to the world's thinking about us. Because if you don't believe who I am, it doesn't matter because I know who I am. So who do people say that you are? Well, people say, I know that, I know that lady. Yeah, she was married like twice. Now she had five husbands and the one she had wasn't her husband. You know who I'm talking about now, the woman at the well. What did Jesus say about her? She's a worshiper who will worship in spirit and in truth, right? Jesus knew everything about her but said that. What does it matter what people say about you? What does it matter what crazy people say about it? Some people will say, well, that's the guy who, you know, he's, he's no good in business. I did a business deal with him and it didn't work out. Can I tell you something? People are going to say stuff about you, but can I tell you, it doesn't matter what people say as long as you believe what your Father in Heaven says about you. Jesus didn't let what people thought about him determine who he was. But he's asking his disciples this question for a reason. We're going to get to it. So they say, you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah, come back in the flesh, or Moses. And he's like, Okay, he doesn't even respond to it. He says, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? Now he's asking them what's their perspective. 
And they're all pretty stumped, except for Peter, who I believe is the guy who always has the answer first anyway. You know, he reminds me of Arnold Horshack on Welcome Back, Cotter. Ooh, ooh, Mr. Cotter, right? <laughs> I know, ooh, ooh, ooh. Anybody who's a teacher knows that kid, you know? The, the kid has all the answers. Peter was that kid, had all the answers. And so he raises his hand and says, Jesus, okay, Peter, who, who do you think I am? He said, I know you, 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 you. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. It comes right off his tongue like that, almost like he just made it up. It's like he was surprised himself when he gave the answer. Have you ever said something? You surprised yourself with the answer? You're having a conversation with someone and you're like, man, that was really smart. I wish I, I, wish I would have said that. <laughs> Where's that come from? That comes from God because he lives inside of you because you're seated with him in heavenly places. And so Jesus acknowledges this. In fact, he says to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Now I'm a student of the original language, so in the original language, this is what it means. Peter, you're too stupid to have figured that out on your own. <laughs> actually, no, that's a little too rough. That's the revised Bob version. He actually said like, yeah, Peter, you probably could not have figured that on your own, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. What does this tell me? It tells me I have the ability to get thoughts directly from God. You see, I think the the... Um, purpose of this entire exercise in Matthew 16 is not for Jesus to figure out who he was. Jesus knew who he was. And I don't think it's even for the disciples to figure out who he is. I don't think he's trying to get them to figure out who he is. I honestly, if he wanted them to know who he is, he would just said, this is who I am. He's trying to teach them how to go to the Father. He's trying to teach them how to go to Father for stuff that they don't know. He's trying to teach them the source and if you can go to the Father when you have a problem in your marriage, if you can go to the Father when you have a problem with one of your children, if you can go to the Father when you have a problem with your job and you can get the solution from heaven, guess what? You're going to look like a genius like Peter. You know? And, and so what he's doing is he's trying to get them, and he, says, he makes a statement, Matthew 16, it's a beautiful statement. A yes, and no longer will you be called Simon, but you will be called Peter. For on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God. And whatever you open or loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you close or bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What's he saying? Now some people say this, and, and I'm going to give you different interpretations of this. Some people say, what he's saying is, hey, you're no longer Simon. You're going to be Peter, and I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. You're going to be the first leader of my church, and I'm going to build my church in succession on great leaders like you. I actually believe there's some truth to that. I believe he's saying, Peter, I'm going to make you a leader of my church. I, be I believe he's saying to Peter, Peter, I'm going to make you a foundation for my church because the foundation of the church is built on what? The apostles and the prophets. So it's, there's some truth in that. Some people say, well, he's talking about the revelation of who Jesus is. The revelation of Jesus, who Jesus is gives you the keys to the kingdom. If you know who Jesus is, you get, to, you get to open things up. In the name of Jesus, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You open up heaven. In the name of Jesus, you can cast out demons. You open up heaven. I believe there's truth to that. I believe the power of the name of Jesus is powerful against any power on the earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. No matter what your faith is from, your background is from, no matter what sickness it is, it'll bow to the name of Jesus. No matter what demonic power it is, it'll bow to the name of Jesus. I believe there's truth that in the confession of who Jesus is, God releases keys to the kingdom to you. I believe that's true. But I also believe this. I believe there's another purpose to what Jesus is teaching them. He's saying... Peter, because you learned how to go to the Father and you didn't rely on what other people said or what you thought, that's going to give you keys to unlocking heaven. 
And when you can go to the Father instead of what people say, and you can go to the Father instead of what you think about a situation, guess what, Peter? There's stuff that's available to you that God wants to give you. There's things that are, you've been blessed with in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ that I want to give to you. I believe that what he's saying is, Peter, I'm teaching you how to think like heaven, how to think like my Father. And he goes on with the story, Matthew 16. He actually goes on and he's talking about how the Son of Man, the Son of God, is going to have to give his life up. He's talking about how he's going to be, he's going to be crucified. And so Peter takes him to the side and he says, no way, Lord, that's never going to happen. You're never going to be crucified. I'm not on my watch. Look, I got the keys. I'm Peter now. I'm not Simon anymore. I'm Petros. Sounds like, you know, like a, one of those MMA fighters, you know, cage fighter, Petros. I am Petros. I kill you. I had the keys of the kingdom and you're not getting out of this cage alive. You, you, don't, you guys don't watch mixed martial arts, apparently. But I think that would be an awesome name for an MMA fighter, Petros. So Peter goes to Jesus. This is never going to happen. You know what Jesus said to him? He looks at him right in the face. He says, get behind me, Satan. You have in, th you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. Exact quote. Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the source of that thinking. He was talking to the source of where that thought came from. Because what the devil wanted to do was say, you're still an earthly man. You'll never die. You have to save your life. But Jesus said, here's the deal. If any man saves his life, he will lose it. But if any man gives up his life for my sake, he will find it. And that word life there is actually not just the word for life. It's the word suke, which means your soul, which includes your mind, your will, your emotions. But I believe one of the things Jesus is saying there, if you really want to gain heaven's way of thinking, if you want to hear from the Father, you got to lose your mind. you got to lose your way of thinking. And so Jesus points to it and he says, look, there's ways, places you can get your thinking from. You can get your thinking from Satan. You know what Satan has some thoughts about you? Do you know? John, you know what Satan thinks about you? You know, he told me what he thinks about you. You want to know? Why do you want to know? He's a liar. <laughs> Who cares what he thinks? That's basically the point. He said, get behind me, Satan. What's he saying? I am so past what Satan says about me. I am so past my past. Because you know what Satan knows about you? He knows about your past. He knows what you did when you were seven. You stole that bubble gum from a 7-Eleven. He knows what you did when you were 15. You stole your parents' car keys and you took the car and you went out with your friends and you did stuff you shouldn't do. You snuck into the drive-in theater. Okay, you didn't do those things. I did those things. <laughs> but can I tell you something? If Satan comes to me and says, you remember when you did that? I'll say, no, Satan, get behind me. I'm so over that. I'm so past what you say about me. And some of you just need to put your hand out and say, I'm past that, Satan. When he reminds you of what you did, you say, I'm past that. I'm so over that because Jesus is so over that, right? Or what about what other people say about you? So Jesus is saying, look, get past what Satan says about you. Then you need to not even respond to what people say about you. Because when you have to respond to what people say about you, it means you don't believe what God believes about you. So Jesus knew who he was, so he never had to introduce himself. And whenever people came to realize who he was, guess what? They found out who they really were. When Peter understood, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, guess what God revealed to him? Yeah, and you're Petros. You find out who you really are when you start to think like God. And so God invites us to a new way of thinking. 
Because he says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. And some of you just need to get past what Satan said about you. Some of you just need to get past what your past says about you. Some of you just need to get over defending you yourself about what other people say about you because it doesn't matter what people say about you. He says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, my ways aren't your ways. It's an invitation to think like him. You say, well, what does that even mean, think like heaven? I mean, it sounds ethereal, like heaven's the place you go when you die. What does it have to do with he the here and now? Do you know that heaven wasn't created as a place for man to go when he dies? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What did he create first? The heavens. Why? It's a place where he could then create the earth from. And so he created the earth and he created man. And he said to Adam, don't eat of this tree because the day you eat of it, you will surely. So man was never created to die. If he wouldn't have eaten of the tree, he would have never died. So why was there a need for heaven? Because heaven was God's throne. It was a place where God interacted with man. People say, well, God lives in heaven. Someday we'll go to heaven and live with God. God doesn't live in heaven because heaven can't contain him. He's huge. He's more massive than the whole universe. It can, he can't be contained in heaven. Heaven is a sphere or a plane that God created. It's an unseen thing, but it's just as real as earth because Corinthians says that the unseen is more real than that which is not seen. And everything that was created that's visible was created from that which is invisible, Colossians 1. What's that tell me? It tells me heaven's real. And it's not just a place we go when we die. It's actually a place where we are allowed to interact with God. You say, well, that sounds really mystical. Let me just make it more practical for you. Do you, you ever hear something called the cloud? It's the place where they store everything about you. <laughs> they're tracking you. Everywhere you go, they're tracking you. It's like the opposite of the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> the Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere to catch you doing something right, and they go tracking you to catch you. Do they got your medical records. They got your history. They got your finances. They got everything about you in there. They could ruin you or they could make you great because everything that's about you is in the cloud. All of this virtual resource and opportunity is stored in this place. Now, it's interesting. This was only available the last few years. But think about the picture that God gives us of what heaven is. A creation, he was hovering over the surface of the deep in a cloud. With Moses, he tracked with him with a cloud through the wilderness. Moses went up onto the mountain in a cloud. He received a pattern of the tabernacle that he saw in heaven that he was going to build it on earth. He actually got the pattern of the tabernacle from the cloud. Jesus in Matthew chapter 17 goes up onto the mountain of transfiguration. Where? In a cloud. He comes out of that. He brings healing to the paralyzed boy that's a schizophrenic boy. Has powerful experience. Every time we see someone access this cloud, when they come out of it, they're changed and the environment around them is changed. Think about that. I think it's a coincidence, but I also think it's an invitation that culture is getting us ready to make real an environment that's virtual, that's invisible, that can be accessed locally and translocally, nationally, internationally. There's resources, and Ephesians 1 says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Now, it sounds mystical, but think about it as a throne. So God, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. Any guys here have a man chair? You have a man chair? Okay, I got my first man chair this year. Finally, after 28 years of marriage, I got a man chair. At least it's a man chair when I'm home. <laughs> and when I go, everybody else sits in it. But I get to sit in this chair. What's It's my recliner. It's my throne. It's the place that I rule from. It's 
place where I serve from. <laughs> I got my remote. I got my chips and salsa. My, my wife and my kids, they, they, they want to visit with me. They come to the throne. <laughs> Honey, you'll find me in my chair with my remote and my chips and salsa. I'm always here. And I want to fellowship with you, but you got to come to the throne if you want to fellowship with me. I want to talk to you, but you got to come to the throne if you want to talk to me. See, that's the Father. He invites us to come to his throne. It's, it's okay, it's, a, it's an earthly analogy. But Jesus you plen used plenty of earthly analogies to talk to us about what heaven is. My point of, th of this is, is heaven is not just for mystics. It's for every believer in Christ. If we understand that the moment we become aware of where we are, there's no time that you're not aware of where you are. In your worship, that's the most time you're aware of the presence of God, right? You come to church, there's good music. You come to, you know, worship service on a Friday night. There's a great atmosphere. And what happens when you leave Friday night and you go to IHOP? You don't get your blueberry syrup on your blueberry pancakes. What happens? All heaven breaks loose, right? All of a sudden, oh no, I'm, more, I'm not seated in Christ with heavenly places. I'm not. I'm stinking like hell. I'm not thinking like heaven. <laughs> no, that's, that's not where it is. When you forget where you are, you forget who you are. A lot of people say you are who you really are when nobody's looking. That's integrity. I've heard that said before, and I understand what they're saying is, if you really are that way, you're going to be that way in public and private. But I believe you are who you really are when you're aware and you're accessing the presence of God. Because when you're in the presence of God, you're looking at Him, and you start to look more like Him. What you, when you behold him face to face, like as in a mirror, you don't walk away and forget what you look like, but you're changed into his image, right? What happens is you forget where you are, you forget who you are. Because you wouldn't talk that way if you were in a worship service. You wouldn't act that way if you were in a worship service. Guess what? You're always in a worship service. You're always in a worship service because you, you're always around the throne. You're always seated with him in heavenly places. Let me pray for you for that awareness, first of all. Because I believe that the first thing God wants to give you an awareness of is the fact of who you are. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and he invites you to think like him. And if you're having trouble understanding the reality of this dimension that God lives in and invites you to interact with, it's not that you have to, you know, put on angel wings and fly around with a diaper on and play a harp. That's not what heaven is about. Heaven is about the realization that there are greater things than we see. There are greater things than we hear. That that which is invisible is real. And God allows us to access it through faith. And so Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, the reality of heaven will be so real. God, I thank you, God, that you are making the reality of heaven real in our lives. That as we begin to walk, we begin to think like you. As we begin to talk, we begin to talk like you. And we even begin to look like you. I pray, God, that we would begin to access this realm so that we would get so past what the devil says about us. Satan, get behind me. I want you to say it with me right now. Satan, get behind me. I am so past you. <laughs> God, I thank you that if we get past that, we can access what our Heavenly Father says about us. Things that flesh and blood won't reveal to us, but our Father in Heaven will reveal to us. In Jesus' name, amen.